GCF exists from a human perspective uh, because of senior pastor emeritus Bill Farley. Uh, back in 2002, uh, he launched GCF with five families, and they eventually uh, ended up meeting down by Gonzaga at our central location. And then in uh, October of 2013, uh, GCF North was launched, and now here we are today. So this morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Bill Farley as he preaches on the Psalms. And as just to remind you, we're working through Psalms 20 to 31 this summer. So with that in mind, let's welcome Pastor Bill Farley. Am I wired? Can you hear me? Good. Well, it's a joy and a pleasure to be here this morning, and um, I'm honored to have the privilege of preaching the Word to you, which I consider a really special privilege today, especially in my old age. So let's start by bowing our heads in prayer and asking God to help us this morning, to visit us by the power of His Holy Spirit. Father, we, we come to you, I come to you this morning, my brothers and sisters come to you, and as I always pray, we pray, Lord, that you would be present here by the power of your Holy Spirit. We don't assume that you're going to be present. We know you're present here, but we want to experience your presence, Lord, in the breaking of the word. And this is beyond me, and it's beyond my brothers and sisters. So we ask for a supernatural event this morning in the preaching, through the preaching of the word, we pray your great blessing on your people. Amen. So this psalm this morning that we read is a, a prayer for vindication. Vindication. We all need to be vindicated at one time or another. Uh, if you haven't ever needed to be vindicated and you live very long, the day will come when you will need to be vindicated. In other words, you will be accused of something. I have a pastoral friend that doesn't live in this state, who uh, a few years ago, they were talking to a man about being an elder in their church. But after interviewing him and, and uh, talking to him, they decided, no, this was not his gift to be an elder. So they said to him, well, we think you're a wonderful brother, but you're, you're, we don't think your call is to be an elder in the church. Well, he got angry, and he left the church, and he made it his mission to destroy that pastor. He went after him in the media, in the Christian media, he spread lies and rumors. He organized groups of people to come after this pastor. And this pastor had done nothing wrong. Not to say that he was a perfect person. He wasn't, but he had handled this situation with this man appropriately. And he had treated him with kindness, and the man turned on him and attacked him. That's an example of someone that needs vindication. My great theological hero is Jonathan Edwards, and this happened to Jonathan Edwards, who... You know, his congregation voted among the members, male members, 200 to 10 to fire him. He was in his late 40s, had 11 children, nine were still at home. Uh, he couldn't do anything but preach. He wasn't trained to do anything but preach the word. This is in 1750 in Massachusetts. And so, uh, the, and the, he had done nothing wrong. He wasn't in theological error. There was no immorality in his life. The problem was he, he was kind of stiff and uh, wasn't really good in personal relationships. He was shy and not real warm, and, and uh, 
ingratiating with people, not intentionally, but it's just his personality. And that rubbed some people wrong and led to his dismissal. Well, here he was in his late 40s with a big family to feed and no other skill but preaching. And what was he going to do for a living? Well, eventually he got a job preaching to, the, to an Indian mission in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. The important point was Edwards needed vindication, and he never got vindication in this life. A few years later, he was called to be president of what's now Princeton University. It was then uh, called the Log College in Princeton, New Jersey, with maybe had 25 students at the time, and a few months later, he died from a smallpox injection that he took uh, that went bad. He was never vindicated in this life, okay? And that sometimes happens with people. They treated improperly, and they pray like David prayed in this psalm, and their vindication waits for the world to come. So what is vindication? Well, vindication by the dictionary is the clearing of blame or suspicion. It's proving that one is reasonable or justified. In other words, you're being vindicated. You're being declared not guilty. So I'm going to use vindication and justification as synonyms this morning. Now, they're not exact synonyms, but they're really, really close. And I want to make a caveat before we go any farther. farther. So we're going to, this psalm is about a prayer for vindication. But I want to suggest to you that it's a mistake to ask God to vindicate just criticisms that we rationalize away. So I remember when I was in the insurance business years ago in my 30s, this would be in the 1980s, and I office with my boss, and one day my boss came to me and said, you know, Bill, you don't listen very well. You need to listen better. And uh, the problem was he was right. My wife, I was reminding my wife of the story the other day, and she said, yeah. Um, so I had a choice. You know, I could say, well, Bob, oh, I think you're all wet. You know, I could start justifying myself and start defending myself, and start declaring my own vindication, or I could listen to him and humble myself and say, hmm, there must be truth in this. What I'm trying to say is if this psalm is not about the person who is accused of something that they're really guilty about, like me, not listening, and then asking God to vindicate them. That's not the way it works. This is a prayer David's praying that God would vindicate him for real wrongs done to him when he was not at fault. God only vindicates unjust criticisms. This psalm is about the need for vindication from unjust criticisms, not just criticisms. So you can't go home today and start praying that God would vindicate you in an argument that you have with your spouse when you were really wrong, okay? So this psalm has four movements, vindication, justification, separation, and determination. I'll go through those again slowly, so if you're taking notes, uh, the first one is vindication, and it's it's very clear that that's what this psalm is about in the first three verses. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me, Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in my faithfulness. That's David's prayer. David's asking God to vindicate him. In other words, make it clear to others that I'm not in the wrong. David has been unjustly treated by Saul. Now, we're not told in this psalm what the circumstances are that 
made David pray this prayer, but we know the circumstances of his life at large. And he's been uh, ruthlessly treated by King Saul and by others. Even though David was King Saul's most loyal supporter, Saul wickedly criticized him, slandered him, and pursued David for at least 10 years, maybe longer. David's fleeing from Saul. And all the while, David's innocent. Why is Saul pursuing David? Because he's afraid of David. He's afraid that God has really called David to be the king and to replace him. In other words, Saul's sin is jealousy and selfish ambition. So Saul has returned David's kindness with malice, with hatred, and with jealousy. Twice, God delivered Saul into David's hands, but David refused to lay his hand on the Lord's anointed. You remember the stories. The one was in the cave of Adullam, if you read your Bible. David, with his 400 men, have gone into this cave to hide from Saul. Saul doesn't know they're in there. Saul goes into that cave to relieve himself, and David's men say, ah, David, look, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. And David, who could have stepped forward and, and killed Saul on the spot, doesn't. And he, he says, no, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm Saul's servant. I cannot lay my hand on God's anointed, meaning King Saul. Another time, David's men talk him into going down into Saul's camp at night, and Saul and all his men are drunk, and they're in a, in a deep sleep. David... Uh, sneaks up to Saul where he's sleeping on the ground, and, and one of the men by him says, let me take my sword and, and my spear and run Saul through right here and kill him and end your enemy's life. David says, no, I, I cannot touch God's anointed. So here's David showing Saul kindness and showing Saul mercy and grace. He's definitely not a threat to Saul, is he? Because he refuses to take matters into his own hands but Saul considers to, continues to pursue him. And so David's praying, vindicate me, O Lord. You know, show that I'm not the guy that's in the wrong. David's cousin Joab, the commander of Israel's army, later on ignores David's commands and wishes and murders Abner, who is the main general of the 10 northern tribes of Israel. So at this point, Saul is dead, and David has been made the king of Judah, and the northern ten tribes come to him and say, David, we want to join you and have you be king over us. Abner's our commander, so Abner comes with that message to David, and Joab, David's commander, ruthlessly kills Abner because of selfish ambition. And now the people are blaming David for killing Abner, and David's, no, David says, I'm innocent. I told Joab, don't lay a hand on Abner. Treat Abner with great grace and kindness. Let's welcome Abner into our army and make him part of our team. But Joab ignores David, kills Abner ruthlessly, and now everybody's blaming David for putting Abner to death. These are the kinds of things David needs vindication from. It's important to note, though, in the text that I just read you, that David assumes he is not objective about his motives and his deeds. Because in verse 2, he asks God, we're going to read verse 2 to you again. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. So first he prays, vindicate me. Then he pauses and he says, God, what he's basically saying is, God, I know I'm not objective about myself. I think I'm innocent. But God, I don't see with omniscience as you see. And I also know that I'm self-centered, I'm selfish, I'm selfish. 
I've been corrupted by sin, original sin, and therefore I'm prone to not see myself objectively. I'm prone to immediately defend myself. I'm prone to not see my sins and faults. So he prays, prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. So have you ever prayed for vindication yourself? Sometimes it's proper to do that. Maybe a spouse has been unfaithful, then blamed you. You need vindication. Maybe a friend has betrayed you for something you didn't do. You need vindication. Maybe an adult child has rejected you unfairly. You need vindication. Judy reminded me this week of Frankie Schaefer. And all of you heard of Francis? Who's heard of Francis Schaefer? Okay, most of you have. So Francis Schaefer had a big influence on me when I was in my 30s. And his son Frankie worked with him and helped produce his uh, well-received film, How Shall We Then Live? And after his parents died, Frankie Schaefer turned on his mother and father and accused them of all kinds of things that they didn't do. It was really bad. Well, that happens with adult children sometimes, these kinds of things. Maybe that's something like that has happened to you and you need vindication. Maybe you've been unfairly slandered in the media. Maybe you've been fired from a job because you've taken a, you've, uh, you've uh, made it obvious that you're a believer, a Christian, or maybe even just a political conservative, and you've been fired. I know that happened to a person in this congregation recently. Maybe you've been called a bigot, a hater, a white supremacist, a Nazi, a misogynist, a woman hater. I've been called that many times. A homophobic, I've been called homophobic, transphobic, and in none of those cases was it true. We need vindication as God's people, don't we? So there's our first point, and then our longest point, which is this, David's praying for vindication. Second movement is to justification. Now David's going to tell God that he's innocent, and you're going to be asking yourself right away, how can he say this? So we'll come back to that in a second. So let's read again verse 4 through 8. If you've got your Bible open, oh, there it is. It's on the screen. Okay. 4 through 8. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. So now he's talking about his relationship with people. Now he's going to move to his relationship with God. Verse 6. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. So what's David saying? Well, David's not saying that his behavior vindicates or justifies him before God. That's not what he's saying here. Because last summer we studied, and I had the privilege of preaching here on Psalm 14. There David clearly states his guilt before God. Here's a good example of how we always read the Bible in context. In Psalm 14, David pray, says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Then a verse later he says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Now, Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 3 and uses it as a defense for original sin. He's, he's using this David's statement in Psalm 14 to prove that we are sinners, that all need salvation, that none can find their way to God by earning a relationship with God. So when David's 
uh, saying this in verse 4 through 8 in Psalm 26, when he's justifying himself before God, he's not saying, God, I've earned salvation. He's saying on a parallel plane, horizontal plane, in regards to other men, there is a distinction. I, with all my heart, have sought to do what is right before God. My conscience is clear. In my relationship with Saul, in my relationship with Abner, I have done everything I know how to do to do the right thing. Despite this, he still wants God to search him for his sin. I'm quoting other lines by David, Psalm 139. We all know Psalm 139. It's one of our favorites. But there David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So again, he's not saying, I'm perfect. I've earned salvation. No, he's saying in relation to human beings, uh, and especially those who are, are criticizing me, I've done all that I know how to do to do what pleases God. The Apostle Paul spoke the same way. Here is how he responded to the accusation that he was a false apostle. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, his accusers, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Is that you this morning? See, Paul's saying, my conscience is clear. I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So what, what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you guys are accusing me of being a false apostle. I'm not. I'm a true apostle. God has called me. He said, I'm, you're accusing me of things that I didn't do, or that it, you're accusing me of being somebody that I'm not. But that doesn't mean I'm innocent. That doesn't mean I'm sinless. It just means as far as I know, I've done everything I can to do what's pleasing to God. But God knows, knows me with omniscience, total knowledge. And God knows uh, sins in my life of which I'm not aware. God is aware of those. And so on the day of final judgment, those things will become clear. It is the Lord who judges me. I'm not judging myself, but ultimately God will judge me and all things will be made clear. That's the same position David's taking here. So in verses four through eight, he's saying, God, in with regards to men, I don't hang out with the wicked. I don't do wrong things. And Lord, I go about your altar worshiping you and praising you and thanking you. So Lord, vindicate me. I'm not saying I've earned salvation. I haven't. But in terms, in my relationship with other men, as far as I know, my conscience is in a good place. So we've looked at vindication. We looked at justification. Thirdly, separation, verse 9 and 10, where David prays to God, do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, at whose hands are evil devices, and in whose right, right, and whose right hands are full of bribes. Again, what is David asking God to do? He's asking God to treat him differently than the bloodthirsty men, Saul, Joab, who work evil and manipulate others with bribes. In other words, although before God no one is righteous, no, not one, the virtuous humble themselves, admit that they are sinners, cry out to God for grace, and seek to live righteously, God accepts them, not on their merits, 
He accepts them on Christ's merits because of their faith. By contrast, the wicked feel no need for God, and we're surrounded by millions of people like this. And maybe you're in here this morning, and this is you. They do not seek to please Him. They live lives dominated by their lusts and their passions. David is saying, God, distinguish me between these two groups of people. Separate me from them. Treat me differently, and God will treat him differently. Because he's righteous? No, because he has faith, and because his conscience is clear, and because they seek him with all of his heart to follow God and please him. So what's the application for us in this uh, movement of separation? It's this, persecution is coming. Many of you might pray this, have to pray this way before you die. You might need this psalm. You may need this psalm of vindication. Well, God eventually vindicated David. He heard David's prayer. On Mount Gilboa, <coughs> excuse me, the Philistines killed Saul. Israel and Judah eventually brought Saul's crown to David and asked him to be king. David was vindicated in his life. So, so far we've described three movements in this psalm, vindication, justification, separation, and lastly, determination, verses 11 and 12. David concludes, but as for me, as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly I will bless the Lord. So here's David's summary conclusion. God, no matter how you answer this prayer, I am determined to walk in integrity. In other words, Lord, whether you vindicate me in this life or in the life to come, I will continue to follow you and serve you. I will walk in my integrity. I will bless the Lord. So let's pivot for a moment and close with three important applications. And the first one is this. Be suspicious of yourself. Say that with me. Be suspicious of yourself. It's really important in marriage because we get in fights, don't we? Your spouse will accuse you of things. Don't just jump to your immediate defense. See, if we really want to be holy, as we sang about this morning, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with His glory, and we want to be holy like that, then we want our sins exposed. We want them out in the open so we can turn from them and change. So somebody who's really under the authority of King Jesus and who really wants to grow in godliness and holiness is going to ask for criticism because, they can, because they're humble and they reckon, I know I'm not perfect and I know I'm not very objective about myself. I know I probably have a puffed up view of myself. And so therefore I need criticism and I need to listen to it so that I can change and become more Christ-like. So people that are like that are suspicious of themselves. They know they're proud. They know every instinct internally is to jump to their self-defense when they're criticized. God doesn't vindicate those whose arrogance has blinded them from an inability to see their culpability. That's our first application. Number two, now I'm not saying, I want to pause there for a second and say there are many of us that are insecure and we, we are really hard on ourselves because we're insecure. That's not what I'm talking about. That was not David, nor was that Paul. When they said, God, search me, know me, and when Paul says, Lord, I'm not, uh, I don't know of anything against myself, 
It wasn't because they were insecure. David's not saying that because he's not asking God to search him because he's insecure. He's asking God to search him because he is secure, because he knows God loves him, and he's at rest with God. He knows he has God's favor. He knows he believes, okay? So he's not saying that because he's insecure. He's saying that because he wants to grow in godliness and holiness. A really insecure person will just beat up on themselves all the time, and that's not what we're talking about here this morning. Second application. With regard to people, God vindicates those who walk in integrity with a clear conscience. I often think of uh, the text in the New Testament that tells us to be at peace with, insofar as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. Okay, so I often ask myself, if I have some kind of enemy or some person that I'm having a problem with, or they have a problem with me, God, have I done, insofar as it's possible with me, have I done everything I can to, to live at peace with all men, with this person? Maybe I've talked to them. Maybe they, it doesn't do any good. They hate me still. There's nothing I can do. I'd pray for them. Maybe I haven't done everything I can do to restore the relationship. See, that's what we're talking about. With regard to people, God vindicates those who walk in integrity, whose conscience is clear, who can say, God, I've done everything I know that you want me to do, and so I'm at rest, Lord. Um, vindicate me in this situation. Some will be vindicated in this world. All will be vindicated in the world to come. Christ will vindicate perfectly, vindicate us perfectly based on omniscience. That means absolute knowledge of everything, everything you've ever thought or haven't thought, all your temptations, all your failures. God knows everything based on omniscience and omnipotence, all power, the ability to give massive rewards and the ability to give massive punishment. We will stand before God in judgment someday, all of us. Christ will be our judge. And it's Christ that's omnipotent and Christ that's omniscient. And thirdly and lastly, this is really what it, I've said this whole psalm to get to this point. Christ is the greater David. You should read this psalm and ask yourself, hmm, vindication. David's praying for vindication. Who was the greater David in the Bible? Jesus is called David in the Old Testament. When the, when the prophets prophesy about the coming of Messiah, they just call him David because he's the son of David. He's the promised son of David. And who was the mo- person in the Bible most unjustly treated? Christ, wasn't he? So as David's praying this prayer of vindication, do you think Jesus prayed Psalm 26? I think he prayed it many, many times and took great solace and refuge in it. The same jealousy and the same selfish ambition that motivated Saul to persecute David motivated the Pharisees to persecute Christ. In fact, we're told two or three times in the Gospels that the reason the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, they were jealous of him. Just like Saul, Jesus was getting the attention of the crowds and the Pharisees weren't getting the attention. It was selfish ambition and jealousy that drove the Pharisees, just as selfish ambition and jealousy drove King Saul. And that is why the Jewish people returned Christ's kindness and love with crucifixion. So Saul hunted David down and tried to catch him, but couldn't. But the Jewish people caught Jesus. They just didn't hunt him down. They They strung him up to the most horrible form of capital punishment ever devised by humanity. So can you say a need for vindication? 
They slandered Jesus. They said he casts out demons by the power of the devil himself. They said all of his claims are lies. Well, what did Jesus claim? Jesus claimed to be God's son. He claimed to be the son of man prophesied in Daniel 7, the Messiah that would come. He claimed to be the great I am. Several places in the Gospels. He let people worship him. And he didn't stop them. And that was the great sin for the Jews because the great sin was idolatry, worshiping anything but the living God. And here's the, this Jewish carpenter letting people worship him. We've got we've to deal with that. People say, well, he was just a good man. No, he, if he's a, just a man and people are worshiping him and he's encouraging it and not stopping it, he's not a good man, is he? He's a bad man. He's a really arrogant man. He's a, he's a nutcase. He's a lunatic. He claimed to be the Messiah. And if he died, none of these claims were true. Because if he died, he was a sinner just like you and I. Why would I say that? Well, because God created man immortal. And when Adam, when God put Adam under test, he said, you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat of it, you will, what, die physical death, and spiritual death. So death came as a result of sin. We die because we're sinners. If we were sinless, we wouldn't die. And so when Jesus was strung up on the cross and died, the Pharisees looked at this and said, yeah, he let people worship him, but obviously he was just like us because he died. However, in his humanity, Jesus knew with great confidence that although he would die, God would vindicate him. Isaiah 50 describes Jesus giving himself up to crucifixion. Then it ends with Christ's powerful words. And this is a prophecy of uh, 600 years before Jesus lived, but it's describing his life. You've got it up on the screen. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. Why? He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Isaiah 50, verse 7 through 8. So how did God vindicate this greater David? As we have already noted, he died looking totally unvindicated. But on the third day, God vindicated his son by raising him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, God was saying, death cannot hold this man. He was sinless. He was the only sinless man that's ever lived. And therefore, not only was he sinless, but he is all that he claimed to be. There was no lie on his lips. When he let people worship him, it was because he was God, and it was true. And when he claimed to be the Messiah, it was because he is the Messiah. God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. So we have in 1 Timothy 3.16 that Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit raised Christ, there was good news because his vindication became your vindication and my vindication. The last verse of Romans chapter 4 reads this way, righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
raised for, in other words, for our vindication. So here's the idea. Our faith unites us with Christ. And although we deserve to not be vindicated because we're all sinners, when God raised his son from the dead and justified him or vindicated him, vindicated by the Holy Spirit, you and I, our faith unites us with Christ and his vindication or his justification becomes ours. And even though we deserve condemnation, we will get the vindication or the justification that Jesus deserves. Here's the wonderful truth of the gospel, is that Christ took the condemnation that we deserve on the cross so that we can get the vindication that he deserves through his resurrection from the dead. So when you die and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and Christ says, why should I let you into heaven? The proper response, and the response that will make Christ erupt with joy is this, because you died on the cross and took the condemnation that I deserved, and you rose from the dead, and I get the vindication that you deserve. It's all about grace. I get the justification that you deserve. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It's all about grace. So we go back to Psalm 26. What's Psalm 26 really about? Well, it's about David praying for vindication. But David doesn't understand the big picture here. He doesn't understand that his great, 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 great grandson will be the Messiah, and he will be most brutally treated of all people that ever lived, and will have the most need for vindication, and that God will vindicate his son by raising him from the dead, and that will also ultimately answer this prayer in Psalm 26, because it will also be David's ultimate vindication. Uh, David doesn't know that when he's writing Psalm 26. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't need to understand that. God heard the prayer in the first three verses by raising Jesus from the dead. Let me read you the first three verses again. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, some of you have done bad things. Some of you live in lots of guilt. You may have gone through failed marriages. There may be sexual immorality. You may have blown it as a parent. You may, whatever the situation be is, you have reasons to be condemned. Most of us don't understand strong enough how much we deserve condemnation. But here's the good news. Jesus was raised for your vindication, for your justification, and all the judgment that you deserve, all the wrath that you deserve was poured out on his son in your place. We serve a God of grace. Say that with me. We serve a God of grace. It's all about grace, not about works. So go home today and enjoy the amazing love of God. Wallow in it. Marinate in it. Enjoy it. Feast on it. That would make God really happy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for David's prayer for vindication. And thank you for answering his prayer on a human plane and on an eternal plane. Father, I pray this morning if there's any of us here that have not put our faith in the gospel, in the saving work of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would 
grant faith to those people. Faith to understand the gospel, faith to believe the gospel, faith to trust in you for your infinite goodness. God, move in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.